Hello and welcome everyone to episode three of the Daddy-O podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burnett, and I got Brad Pickerton here with me. Brad, how you doing? Doing well now. Tell you more about doing that well in now? Good. Well, on today's episode, uh, we got a whole bunch of good stuff for you. We're going to give our dad updates, talk to you about what's going on in our lives currently. Um, then we're going to talk a little bit about sickness. We're going to talk about telling work that uh, you're pregnant or that your partner's pregnant, uh, and then stay tuned to the end to hear uh, our dad wins and fails, and also a little bonus, uh, what we're thankful for, because this week uh, we are recording on the week of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's tomorrow. Um, so happy Thanksgiving week. Brad, how you doing? I'm good. Lots to be thankful for, and uh, when we get into the meat of this, it's going to be good. But yeah, Thanksgiving's my favorite. It's, uh, it's a time just to be with friends and family because you can be with friends and family. And yet there's also a lot of stress in that when we get into the, the B block, I'll tell people about uh, my traditions and my thoughts on that too. But yeah, really happy to be here. And I'm loving the fact that we're on episode three in three weeks. I love it. We're on track. Now we got to get them out. Um, yeah. So let's see where I'm at this week. We're at 31 weeks pregnant, 31 weeks and two days as of this recording. And um, things are going pretty well. My wife, Laura, is a champ. And, but I think we're definitely getting into the, we're starting to get into the meat of the third trimester. So she's starting to feel big. She's done a good job of keeping herself in shape, but, uh, she's just starting to feel heavy and her, you know, she feels like there's pressure on her lungs. And so we're getting into that kind of, or I think we're transitioning out of the kind of honeymoon second trimester into the, into the real kind of grind of the third trimester. So that's definitely, that's definitely on our mind right now. Sleep's a little bit worse. When is this going to end? Or please don't tell me how many more days. We haven't gotten to the please don't tell me how many more days yet. I think we're very cognizant of exactly how long. And I think there's still a lot of optimism. Like, oh, it's only nine more weeks. I can do anything for nine more weeks. We still have that positivity. But I think, you know, you know, last night uh, we didn't sleep very well. There's a little like tossing and turning's hard. Um, so we're, you know, just starting to get into that grind of like, oh, this is going to be uncomfortable for a little while. I just uh, remembering back to where we were uh, mid mid second trimester. Uh, we just looked at each other. Went, we went up to my folks' house for a weekend, brought a pregnancy pillow, and there's a king bed in in the room we sleep up there. We came home and we bought a king bed instantly. It was one of the f- few splurges for ourselves. It was just like, uh, there's no way, there's no way. Um, so just that's my little two cents. Anecdote. Sleep's important for sure. the o- The only other anecdote I've got for this week is um, so we got family in town. And my cousin has a little baby, a little baby boy who's going to be almost exactly a year older than our our child. Uh, and so we get kind of a full view and that's been really fun. So there, you know, he's like eight months old or something. And uh, we got to hang out and play with him the other day. And that was super fun. Um, he's super cute. He's, you know, got a little bit of that kind of like stranger danger thing now where he gets put in our hands and starts to cry a little bit and wants his mom. But uh, it's been, it's been a really good to kind of get a little bit of a preview of what's coming so that's fun how are things going on your end brad well two updates let's give the theo update first uh he's starting to do stuff and it's the kind of thing that you hear other people talk about once it happens to you you go it's amazing i'm going to video it and send it to all my friends who don't care and so this weekend he had a major change which is the ability to roll from his from tummy time left onto his back and when he does it, he flops over, he hits his head, and he giggles. And then he wants to do it again. And he can't quite do both ways. And, you know, because now that I know this, there's four ways, right? Tell me to the left, tell me to the right, 
back to the left, back to the right. So he's got one of the four down. But there was a day he couldn't do that, Friday. And there was a day he could do that, Saturday. And so that was just a really, uh, really interesting thing. That's wild uh, to second see the de- okay. development. In, to, 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 it's wild to see the development in real time, just day to day. It is amazing. And you're kind of trying to keep up with it because in our, in our lives, especially you know, as CEOs, we create systems that once they work, they're supposed to work for a really long time. And it's an anecdote that I'll throw in from the business side. I often tell people when something's working, still put an artificial, put a flag on it for when you think it'll break. Right, three years from now, three times the lines of code, three times the staff. Um, but with the kid, of course, none of this is in control. None of this is systemized. None of this, it just happens, and it's glorious and it's fun and it's new. But then you got to start saying, "Wait, the pattern that I had last week that I could understand. Like last week, we could put him on the changing table, and you got to watch him because it's got a little lip. But you're kind of fine. This week, it's when you reach down for the diaper, you keep one hand on his chest." Because who knows, he might want to flop and then fall four feet. And so that's just, you know, an adjustment. I didn't have to do that last week. I do have to do this uh, this week. So it's uh, it's really rapid fire. And, you know, when you consider that most of the CEO work that you and I have done or myself as a coach is with high growth, hyper growth startups, kids faster than that. Uh, the other update that I have is that I was sick this weekend. Uh, I woke up on Saturday, and very frequently on Saturdays, I take our puppy and I hike up a mountain, Sunitas. And I got two-thirds of the way up, and I just said, I don't have it. And I turned around, and by the time I got back to the car, I just massive lethargy. No real other symptoms, but massive lethargy. And so Sarah Beth and I talk, and I just sequester myself into the guest bedroom. And I, I sleep almost all day, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And that was really tough. And the reason it was really tough is Sarah Beth went from being, she does most of the work because mom, infant, you know, most of the stuff only mom can do. But she went from most of the stuff to all of the stuff, the stuff that either of us could do, she now had to do, cook, clean. You know, I call this the chop wood, carry water. The stuff that I really try and anticipate and be a part of in the family was gone. And, and I felt guilty about it. But I also, when you're sick, you're sick. You don't want to get them sick. And the only way to heal is to rest. And especially with this type of illness, the only thing I could do was rest. I tried to take the dog for a walk at one point in time. I didn't get a block before I turned around and came back to now. So that was a really tough thing in the family because it wasn't a vacation. It wasn't voluntary. And I really feel like Sarah Beth took the burden. And that, that, was, that was hard. It was really hard in my heart to, to put that on her. Um, and then the the funny anecdote side of it, which is my win, but I'll, I'll preview it now, is that she looks at me at one point in time when I, I'm really like, I am microwaving rice. Like that was my meal for the day. And she can just see my shoulders are sunk and my eyes are dead. And she, she looks at me. She's not blaming me for anything. She just says, I appreciate you so much more now. Because just that, that chop wood carry water work that isn't always seen and known because her job is bigger and more important than mine. But when mine is gone, it's a real effect. And there was actually a, a growth between us because of that. But yeah, I didn't realize as a, as a part of this podcast is to be a good dad and a good father. And part of that is healing and forgiving yourself for the fact that I'm human and I'm going to get sick and my partner's going to carry the burden of that. And someday it's going to go back the other way. But that was a really challenging mental game this weekend for me. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Brad. There's actually a couple different questions I've got for you. I want to dig into this a little bit for our for our listeners. So I let's start with the emotions first. Like talk to me a little bit more about how how does it how did it feel to have to put more burden on your partner and not be there? Two things. Anxiety was would be the feeling. I had anxiety about not being capable. Right. One of the things that has really grown in me, and, and I've heard this many times from other fathers and church stuff, is provide and protect. So, you know, these are strong driving emotions for most men and for me, and I couldn't do either. And so I couldn't provide food. I couldn't provide chop wood, carry water stuff. And I couldn't protect them at all from and we live in Boulder. It's not like physical protection, but just to be there, help. I, I, was, I was lacking. I was without of these things that I normally take self-confidence in or even my sense of self in, being able to provide and protect from the family, and that was gone. Just gone, just depleted, out. And then there's the other thing of, Sarah and Beth and I don't really do a bargaining relationship. We're not keeping tallies of who did this or who did that. But I started keeping tallies of how much I was failed. I, know, I, I now owe her three days off. I now owe her, right? And, and not that I would mind giving her three days off. I just started feeling in debt to my family. None of this is true, but this was my lived experience. This is what was going through my head as I'm rewatching Lord of the Rings, Marvel movies, dumb, dumb stuff, because I didn't have any capacity. And that's, uh, that, that's, that was a real burden. The, the beautiful thing about it is once I started feeling better, which especially was yesterday, she and I got to go for a walk and we got to walk all through that. She helped me just say, Brad, name your demons because they're fake. These, these demons you've had in your head for three days that you didn't check in with me on. And then she, of course, gets to have the opportunity to say, yeah, Brad, you know, it really was a burden and I need some extra help. She didn't say that. She said, Brad, these are fake demons. Let it go. I, I, I wasn't holding on to them in the beginning. I'm not holding on to them now. The amount of resentment I have for you being sick for three days is zero. I'm maybe a little bit frustrated about the fact that the flu exists, but not that you got Oh, that's really nice of her to, and I think that's a good thing for partners to realize, right? There's things that like your partner might just decide they need a week off, but then your partner might also get the flu and it's no one's fault and it it will go back and forth for sure. Um, on, a, on a slightly more practical note, because I think that's, it's, it's great to dig into that stuff, but talk to me a little bit, do you and Sarah Beth do anything um to because you both work and now you're both parents, do you do anything to mitigate some of that chop wood carry water? Do you have any help? Do you have in laws come in? Do you have someone come clean the house once a week? Like, are, are there any are there any mitigating factors or things you've done to try to help kind of mitigate that stuff? So I guess the advice part of this would be get all the help you can afford, and there's two parts of afford, right? Uh, time and hassle and money, and that just whomever you are, if it's if it's grandma, if it's cleaning lady. Um, you need the help, especially if you're both working. Actually, even if you're not both working, because the burden is high regardless. So we have a nanny six hours, four days a week during the work week. And we're very, very fortunate that our nanny comes to our home. So we both work from home and have Theo and nanny. It's actually a pretty busy home, two dogs, um, nanny and Theo, Sarah Beth and I, and calls and things. But it's also beautiful and lovely that we get to check in on Theo. Between calls, I get to go you know, make a cup of coffee, and if he's awake, I get to say hi to him while the coffee's It's beautiful. 
Uh, cleaning lady is, I've always believed, just one of those miracle things for a relationship because it just every once in a while, well, for us, it's once a month, resets the house instead of lets resentment come in. And one person's usually cleaner than the other. And so then they bear the burden of cleaning because jumping topics a little bit. In power dynamics, the person who cares the least wins the negotiation. And so if you're the messy person, I'm the clean person, I care more, you win. And there's always a little bit of resentment in there. You can buy yourself out of that resentment for the cost of a cleaning lady. Um, for us right now, our cleaning lady situation is a little chaotic because um, she's not that reliable. She's great at her job, but she's not that reliable at showing up. But second, how do you bring in a cleaning lady when you have two people who work from home, a nanny, a baby, and two dogs? And so that's a, that's a little bit of in-between parts. Um, I really wish that we did have closer in-laws so that we could start doing that. But for us, my father's visiting in two weeks. My father and stepmother, they both act like Theo's a burden and that they're giving us this, this joy and this gift of, we'll take Theo for three hours in the middle of the day and you two go have you know, a, a lunch date as though he's this burden. Well, two factors. Number one, I don't think that would work too well because Theo likes being next to mom. And number two, we like being next to Theo. We don't carry him as a burden. And so maybe later, maybe when he's 18 months old, he's able to eat and he's running around and screaming and crying. Maybe then we're going to be looking to just, hey, here's a new person. Take the baby for an hour. I need, I need him gone. But right now at four months, we actually just want our family to visit with us, sit with us, chat with us, talk, smile with us, be with us. We don't need them to do chop wood, carry water. Or, um, and that's our experience, not everybody's. Yeah, well, I, I definitely want to do like a whole episode on parents and in-laws uh, and, and their ability to help. That's like a whole thing. Um, especially in Thanksgiving, you think a lot about that. Uh, and then on the, uh, I'll add my two cents on the help front. You know, right now, Laura and I have uh, are lucky enough to have someone come in and clean the house. We're able to do it once a week uh, in the UK. Um, we're lucky; it's actually quite affordable. Um, but we're looking to up that because you know we think that letting someone take care of the things, like whether it's cooking or cleaning or doing laundry, is like allows us to spend more time with each other and with the baby versus having, you know, so we're looking forward to trying to do that more. And and is anyone here who's listening, who's a CEO or an executive or, or has a high power job, you know, if you're, if, if you're one of those people, you probably make a, a decent hourly wage, so to speak, and spending some of that money to get some time back in your home life can be very, very helpful. Um, I recognize it's not able for everybody. Yeah. To double tap on that. Um, a husband and wife CEO group that I knew had their first child and about the child was maybe 18 months old and they needed to build a shed out in their yard. And it was, you know, pre, pre-bought shed, whatever. And they were frustrated and I'm coaching them and they were frustrated because they knew they were going to have to spend all weekend building the shed because half time is with the baby and half time is building the shed. So it's either, you know, there's only one person who can build the shed because the other person, and it didn't matter which one, they're both engineers and smart and stuff. So didn't you guys just raise a series A? Yeah. Didn't your guys, both of your salaries just double? Yeah. Can't you task grab that? I'm like, well, I don't know. That might be $700. Well, you know, you get your shed at $700 and you get a full weekend so that you can show back up to work and be strong. The other thing is, what do you do with that time? You, you work with baby, you work with each other, like, like buy your time back whenever you can afford it. And the reason that they needed that lesson from me was because of the state shift of, 
they had doubled their income after their A, but their brains and their wallets and their mindset hadn't caught up to, I can actually afford to have someone else do this task. I am not shirking my duties. I am not frivolously spending money. I am not incapable of it. It's just smarter for me to do something else. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole, there's another whole episode about how to save money and how to budget as a startup person in particular. Cause I know, you know, I've gotten some raises over the years, but I always live as if my paycheck's my last one because I'm just so Mm -hmm. cognizant that startups can fail. Uh, But I do think there's a mindset shift, right? Between Oh, I gotta lock it down because yeah, this might be my last paycheck, or I'm I'm you know haven't raised my Series A yet, and I'm really scrimping by. I'm trying to extend runway in my company, um, but then there's this thought of like, okay, I can never spend money, and it's like, no, you should take an investor's mindset to your time, and if your time's worth a thousand or two thousand dollars an hour, and you can buy two hours of your time for five hundred bucks to get someone to build a shed in your backyard or clean your toilet, like. That is such a win. Like, so, you know, yeah. So, yeah, don't go buy, you know, Rolls Royces and fancy watches and, you know, whatever frivolous things. I won't, I won't make judgments as to whether or not those things are frivolous or not, whatever, do whatever you want. But I do think anyone can take a good investor's mindset to taking care of their kids and taking care of themselves by, by, you know, paying to offload some of the burdens that aren't, you know, that, you know, you don't need to be the one who cleans your toilets or does your laundry. I can't wait to do this as a whole episode. I, I think this is a really meaty episode. And uh, yeah, the, the budget of dad CEOs is is going to be interesting. So I, I got one more question for you, Brad, before we move on. Um, so you said you felt like when you got sick, you know, your partner already has most of the burden because there's so only certain things that mom can do. And, and as a dad, your job is to chop wood and carry water and to be a support role. And then when you got sick, you felt like all 100% of the work went on to your partner. And I, I wanted to get your in, uh, impressions as a dad and as a, as, a, as someone basically in not only a CEO, but in the startup space and someone who works now, you happen to work in the home. But a lot of, I feel like as as fathers and as providers, a lot of our contribution might come from quote unquote outside the home with the work we do. And how do you, do you feel like you undervalue your own contributions because I know sometimes that happens to me where it's like, I don't see myself contributing in the home because I'm out doing this really stressful thing over here trying to to build and provide for my family. And I'm wondering about that dynamic where I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to ask you to, to be introspective and see if you sell yourself short on what the split is 50-50, not that it's a competition, but between you and your partner. Yeah. So I love the 80-80 rule. Um, and that's what we try and do. So Sarah Beth and I often use the the framework of you, me, and we. Um, and and so there's some things that are you, and her, and then some things that are me, and then there's some things that are the we of the relationship. But on the we of the relationship, the ownership of who is mostly responsible for it, I think 50-50 is most of the time considered not, not good enough. Both partners try and put in 88. And so for me, my 80 is what I'm capable of contributing. And I'm capable of contributing, growing my company, uh, bringing in new clients, and then having either more stability or more capital or more cash to um, pay for help. Or she doesn't have to work as many hours. Those are ways I can contribute to the we. Her ways of contributing to the we are a little less um, choice because they're biological. right? And two of the things that, first off, we're choosing not to use formula. 
So then that's all on Sarah Beth. And that's health, that's food, that's time, that's pumping, that's devices, right? And that's consistent and that's daily and it's daily and it's three times daily, it's four times daily, it's at night, it's all that. And then the second thing is the baby's attachment to mama in these first time. There are times where uh, our, our nanny can put him down pretty well, but she's still around. There are times she goes out and does stuff for an hour or two, and th- he just will not accept me as the comforting, the soothing, the ability to go down. Like She just is a special part of his life outside of feeding and inside of feeding. So hers are a little less uh, discretionary, but on that other side, because mine are more discretionary, I actually take it as a higher burden. Since I have choices on what I could do, I could go get a different job with different benefits. I could continue running my consulting practice. I can have more clients and less clients as the market allows or I choose. I look at that as a higher burden because I have discretion. And so, yeah, that's how I do it. Uh, anyway, that's it. Yeah, thanks. I think question. Yeah, that's a great framework. I think that's good. And I want to keep digging in on this as we go along with this podcast, because I think that that's one of the great challenges, I think, for a lot of men that isn't discussed is they don't know how to contribute or they feel like they're contributing outside the house. And, and, you know, there's not, sometimes people just don't communicate well. So I'm excited to just kind of keep digging into that. And I agree that, you know, ultimately our job is to provide as much as we possibly can. Yeah. And, you know, Income should be backwards bending curve. There's a specific time when you're making enough money that you should try and work less hours. Because if you're making enough money to to be whatever your survival is, and that's including putting money away for retirement and everything. But trying to get rich right during this period of time, Sarah Beth and I kind of had this this balancing act. Of, it's okay to be a little bit boring in our careers or like be more foundational in building because this is a sacred time with the child. And we would rather be a little bit more at home than a little bit more ambitious. And that's on the margins, right? It's it's marginal ambition versus marginal at home. But if I was trying to make a partner for a law firm right now, uh, heaven forbid, and I was, you know, billing seven to seven every day uh, and coming home, I would have nothing left, which means the entire burden of the house would have to be on her or people we pay. And that to me isn't as strong of a relational choice. It's a stronger financial choice and longevity of finances choice, but it's not the choice we made. We made the choice that we can do foundational stuff for a little while because this is, for us, special and sacred time. Now, Rob, I know that you are anticipating baking. You are a couple months away, and it'll be really interesting for me to hear where you go in this between pre-baby, which is conceptual, and, and with baby, which is practical. And I, I can't wait to hear over the months that we do this, what have your thoughts changed, grow, altered? And the fact that we are starting to peg what you feel right now, it's not, you know, we're not going to have cognitive bias about what you feel in, in November of 2023. We have a recording of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm putting it on the record. And yeah, I mean, I think that that's, you know, this is a good place to wrap up here. You know, I'm definitely thinking about, it's a, it's a, it's a real tension with me where I'm very ambitious and I want to double down, but I also know, and I'm slightly afraid that when I meet my baby, I'm going to really want to take my foot off the gas and just be much more happy at home. Um, and I think that that's something I'm going to have to unpack a lot uh, as we go forward. Um, it's an interesting way that you can have both in a different way post-baby, and we'll get into that another time. But yeah, we, we've definitely uh, spoken a bit here. So. Sounds good. Well, thanks for sharing all that stuff, Brad. Uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about letting work 
uh, know that you and your partner are pregnant. So we'll be back in a sec. All right, everybody, welcome back. And we now want to talk a little bit about some of the practical sides on the business. And I wanted to ask Rob, Rob, uh, how long was it from when you knew you were pregnant till when you told people? And how did you tell people and how did it go? That's a great question. So I, I, Brad has an insight here is he, he knows that this is a bit of a wild story, but uh, I think it's worth, it's, it's worth sharing because nothing went to plan. Um, and so to set the scene, you know, traditionally you can learn you are pregnant for anyone who doesn't know, you can typically learn you're pregnant four to five weeks into the pregnancy at the earliest. Um, and you typically don't tell people until 10 to 12 weeks, really 12 weeks is when they say, um, you know, there's a, a very good chance the, the fetus is viable and, and you're kind of in the safe zone, which is kind of ironic because it turns out the first trimester is just a wild time where it's very hard to keep a secret. Uh, they don't tell you this uh, in anything with popular culture. So Laura and I found out very early. Uh, we found out uh, that we were pregnant. It was very excited. And <laughs> The first person who wasn't us who knew we were pregnant was a waiter who we we went, we went to a I think it was uh, Laura's birthday dinner um, like a couple days after we found out we got pregnant and he brought us un unprompted a couple of uh, glasses of champagne and we had to politely decline and say that we were pregnant so the joke for us for a couple of days was it's us two and that guy know we're pregnant uh, which was which was a fun thing for a few days. <laughs> um, but bringing it into work. So we had this, so, you know, I know a dynamic of Laura and I's relationship is that, uh, we live in the UK about half the time. We live in the U S about half the time. Um, we were living in the UK, uh, at that point and my parents were going to come over, uh, and they were planning to arrive. It's a little fuzzy now, but around nine or 10 weeks into the pregnancy. And we had scheduled a scan right before they were going to arrive. So we would have a pretty good understanding of the fetus being viable. And we had this great plan where my parents were going to come. They were visiting the UK. They were going to meet Laura's parents or they've met before, but they were going to all hang out. And so it would be a chance for us to kind of tell both sets of parents in person, back to back, that this was happening. And we're like, this is great. Perfect timing. It's going to be lovely. And in the meantime, that gave us like four weeks or five weeks to kind of have it to ourselves and 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 kind of uh, be a couple and kind of have this kind of fun secret. So about six weeks into the pregnancy, so we'd maybe known for a week or two, uh, I had to travel to Boston for work for a week. Um, so I, and I had, uh, like a, an 8 a.m. flight out of London. So I had to be up at like 4.30 a.m. to get my, get a car to the airport. And that night, everything had been going smoothly up into that, to that point. Everything had been just very peachy. and then. The night, you know, it must have been a Sunday night into a Monday, I'm supposed to go to, to Boston. Laura wakes up in pretty extreme abdominal pain. Uh, oh, not man. just a little summer cramp. Yeah. It's good and, to know that this is six months ago. <laughs> yeah. This must have been really tough in the moment. And in, uh, yeah, honor that. Yeah. In the moment, it was really tough. And so she was in a lot of pain. She was starting to feel a little sick as well, a little morning morning sickness, which for anyone who doesn't know, morning sickness is all day sickness. The whole morning thing is a total misnomer. Um, so, so Laura wakes up and she's feeling sick and in pain. Um, but Laura's a, um, a primary care physician. 
And one thing she always tells me is like, it's almost always nothing. It's very rarely serious. And so, you know, we basically have this kind of debate all night. We really don't sleep at all. Like, should, should I go? go, should, not go? should she go? Go ahead. Yeah, 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 exactly. Should I go? Should I not go? Should she go to the hospital? Should she not? And she's kind of like gritting it and going, no, I don't think I should go to the hospital because even if I go, there's nothing they can do. And, you know, I don't want to stop you. Like, you should go. This is an important week. Like, you very rarely have to be in the office. Like, this is important. And so, again, I basically don't sleep. At 4.30, I get out of bed, take a shower, and, like, get in the car with just this deep pit in my stomach. I was like, I got to try. So go get on the flight. Uh, it happened to be JetBlue, which has really good in-flight Wi-Fi. So I get in-flight Wi-Fi, and I'm texting with her the whole way across the Atlantic, like an eight-hour flight to Boston. And she's kind of feeling better. She's doing okay. We're good. And so keep in mind, this is six weeks into the pregnancy. Nobody knows. Um, my parents, her parents, anybody else. So I land about 10 a.m. in Boston. I've been up all day. I haven't slept all night. And then I go straight to the office because that's just how I do it when I, when I go to Boston. So I show up in the office. I'm meeting with... So I know I am the CEO, but uh, I'm the CEO of a subsidiary. So I'm meeting with the CEO of the public company, who's our parent, and um, the founder of the company, who are basically my two bosses. And so we're starting to do some really good strategic planning. Um, and I got a call from Laura. So I step outside to take it. And she basically calls me crying, saying, I'm in really bad pain. I'm really scared. I don't know what's going on. And of course, I you know, had, was kind of fearing oh. that that was the case. Wow. Yeah. So I'm in a bit of shock and I'm like, listen, okay, I can't leave until tonight anyway. There's nothing I can do. So let's hang tight. You know, you're good. Um, and, and the confounding factor is she didn't want to like call her mom. She didn't want to call her friends because no one knew. So we had this kind of added layer of secrecy to all of it. Um, but event, basically I go back into the other room and I was basically like, Hey guys, I've got good news and bad news. Um, the good news is surprise, Laura's pregnant. The bad news is she's in a lot of pain right now and she's in a bit of distress. And to the infinite credit of, of, um, my bosses, they were like, well, dude, you gotta go. You gotta get out of here. Like you can't stay here. If if it's nothing fine. And if it's something you would never forgive yourself. So I had a bunch of colleagues in the office. Uh, yeah, yeah, please. I want to pause on that because there's this. I think it's a cognitive bias or just a mind gremlin of if it's nothing, I've wasted my time. And they didn't give you that option. And there's a lot of things in this world of of fatherhood and, and daddyhood and husbandy husbandyhood that that fit in that category. And there are times when we can all, you know, whine and squeal and and, and do too much that had no basis or bias. But taking that moment and saying there's no harm in missing this meeting in, in missing this project in missing this. Even if it's including I flew across, I flew across the pond, right? I'm exhausted. It's, it's, it's like the relative values of these two things. And so I just really want to pause and honor. The second thing is I often don't have that perspective for self. And that's why one of the reasons I want to do this podcast is so people can gain our perspectives. But the other is, my very best friend and the godfather of Theo is the person I can call to test if I'm crazy. And he is also a CEO. And I don't actually give myself permission to go or not go if he, Mel, 
if Mel says go, I just I stop thinking about it. I think we talked about this podcast one. There are times when I just defer my decision making to somebody else because I know that I can't have perspective on myself. And that's effectively what, what your two bosses did. Okay, rabbit trail over. Please continue the story. Yeah, but I think that's exactly right. To take a, a, a slight pause, like we've always tried to build our company with like a family comes first attitude. Uh, and they exemplified it there. And it was hard to um they they did they did take the decision essentially out of my hands because you know I was like adrenaline. I try I try to honor myself and 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 be very calm in these situations, but you know, you're shaking a little bit, you got a pit in your stomach, you just don't know what to do. And so they really did take it out of my hands. Uh, but then I had to essentially um uh, so I was doing some meetings with them. And then I was doing, I was supposed to meet with all my kind of employees and, and do some planning with them and help them out. And I essentially just kind of like left the office, um, like three hours after I got there. Um, one, I met one employee for the very first time, uh, I basically gave her like a hug in the hall and then basically disappeared. Um, and so, you know, my bosses basically were very nice about not telling anybody. And I basically had to say, everyone, I need to go. Um, I'll fill you in later. So I, you know, I was in the office for all of five or six hours, went back to the airport, um, was able to talk my way onto essentially the same flight I had been on to fly over, flew back and was back at home about 23 hours after I left. And so that was a wild 24 hours. And I basically hadn't slept in about almost 48 hours at that point. And so on kind of totally jet lagged and lack of sleep, I guess I didn't have time to even get jet lagged, but I was totally uh, wrecked. But I got back home um, and we basically took Laura directly to a scan and she was in quite a bit of pain. So, I mean, I don't know if it's, it's never good news, but uh, I definitely, it was definitely the right decision to come back. Um, the good news is we got a scan and everything was perfect. Everything was in great shape. So they weren't quite sure what um, the pain was from, but the egg, the embryo had implanted. Everything was good. There had been some worry that was worried that it was an ectopic pregnancy um, where the embryo implants outside of the fallopian tubes or womb. I don't quote me on that entirely, but that's basically what it is. That could be very dangerous. And it wasn't that. Um, so we were in really good shape. So then we had basically two weeks of Laura very sick and in pain, um, but more, we knew it was under control. So the anxiety level came way down. But then I had this conundrum of, you know, my parents and her parents both knew that I was supposed to be in Boston for a week. Um, and, you know, I can, you know, I can kind of ignore my parents only so much uh, and trying to tell them that, yeah, I just went to Boston for a day and it was fine. And I decided to come home because I was done with work just isn't going to fly. So, um, so my work knew, um, none of my, none of my employees or, or colleagues knew other than my two bosses. Um, they all knew that I had a family emergency and had to go home and they all handled it beautifully. Um, but then my, basically my mom called me and is like, why are you back in the UK? And I was like, well, and she's like, is everything all right? I was like, yeah, everything's fine. And then she's like, does this have something to do with a baby? And I was still like kind of holding out <laughs> hope that I could like convince her not to ask any more questions and like wait like the two or three weeks before she would arrive. And I was like, well, do you want me to answer that question? And she's like, well, I think you just did. So I'm like, Ugh. 
okay, fine. And so I like walked into uh, my room with Laura and I was like, let's FaceTime. So we at least got to do that. And I was like, well, uh, Laura and I are pregnant. And my parents were, of course, over the moon and excited. And so we ended up uh, chatting with them for a bit and then calling Laura's parents and just letting them know so that they weren't uh, left out of the loop. Um, but yeah, I think the moral of that story is that you can make all the plans in the world about how you're going to tell people and make announcements, but the first trimester will throw curveballs at you. you. It is not, you know, movies make it sound like you get sick once and then you realize you're pregnant and then you're huge and then you have the baby and it's done. Uh, but the first trimester is a really kind of insidious, sticky time that, uh, threw us way more curveballs than we were ready for. And we expected. Um, one of the yeah. frameworks yeah. I use in life is short-term expertise. You and I both, uh, made the life choice to go to law school. And when we were applying to law school, we had to become worldwide experts in applying to law school and then never needed that again. And this is a little, and then there's other things like this, getting married, buying your first home, but also having a kid, you don't have any expertise because you've never done it before. You only have thoughts and maybe expectations, but you have no no knowledge, no no experience. And then it's dynamic, and there's two of you, and there's family. There's so much going on. So then, what do you and I naturally do? We try and think of the end in mind, and we try and build a plan up to it that's going to be successful. <laughs> nope. You have a plan that you hope might kind of work. And as soon as the the universe, the baby, the wife, metaphysics, whatever you call it, tells you it's not going to work, you just got to roll with it. And uh, that's what you did in a great way. Um, so you lost this, you know, glorious moment of kind of having a hey, um, this is this is how we want to announce, and this is whom we want to announce to first, second, and third in public, right? First, family, second, maybe business and close friends, third, it doesn't matter who knows. And yet the the plan and the holding to the plan is so much looser because we're not in control. And that's just a part of this podcast is what do we control and not control in our businesses? What do we control and not control in our fatherhoods? And uh, anyway, that's a wild yeah. story, Rob. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, it's a real yeah. lesson in humility that you can't control these things. Um yeah, and I think the lesson, if I if I can extract, you know, take whatever lessons you want from my story, but if I can extract a lesson from the business side of things, is I spent years cultivating uh, a culture at work where we take care of each other, and you know, not to call anybody out, but you know, I've had people with mental health breakdowns who work for me, people with a parent getting a cancer diagnosis, people who've lost a grandparent, uh, people who've lost a pet. Um, people have just gone through a hard time or, you know, lived through a hurricane, you know, all of those things that all happened in my small little company over the last couple of years. And every time I tried to respond with, uh, you go handle you, we've got you, we'll be okay at the company, your job is to handle yourself first. And I don't know kind of how I landed on that from, to start with, but the fact that basically every one of my employees in some form or fashion had either experienced me supporting them or seen me support someone else. Because what I would always tell everyone in kind of an all-hand or a stand-up meeting, hey, this person is out. It's a family thing. Don't worry about it. We support them. They're going to take the time they need, and they'll be back. Uh, and I'm 
so honored and flattered that when it was my turn, no one missed a beat. No one was like, why, you know, why is Rob making me do all this hard work, but he's not even around. Uh, Everyone was like, oh, go, we got you. Um, And so I think that planting those seeds early and often. Yeah. So much tougher to receive that than to give it for me that any co-founder, any employee I've ever had, it doesn't, it's every company that I've ever run, except for where I was interim CEO of a company, every company I've ever run, I started on the product line and then leadership and then CEO, including, you know, what we're doing here at Delta Awesome. And so I knew how to do every job. And so if somebody had a family emergency, I always knew in the back of my head, I can put strategic planning or big, important, but not urgent things on hold because this is the important, urgent thing. And if I need to step in back onto the line or I need to move one person down to that person's level and then I'll take their job, I always knew I could do this. But at the top level, there's work that only I can do. And if I'm gone, that's just not happening. And some of that work is managing the team and keeping the culture together and just doing all that stuff. And so when I had to go for a couple of things, we, we lost a dog this year and we also had a pregnancy and, and now baby, I had to hand stuff off. And it was so radically harder for me to hand stuff off and receive that, that, that culture gift back in return than it is for me to ever have somebody who's got a sick parent and you know, buy them a flight. Like you're, I've already bought your flight. You know, you, I'm not letting you make a decision. You can let the flight go and stay at home for the week, or you can fly and go see your, your mom. Like I've made those decisions and like, they don't even know, you know, they're, they're just dropping everything. That, but man, it's so much harder the reverse way. Uh, so, yeah. It's, it's harder and, and much more humbling. Um, but I'm sure as heck glad I did it. Right. It's, it's a real, I suspect it's going to be like someday when, when my kids are older and they try to take care of me for something like, I feel like my employees taking care of me is like the kids taking care of the the parent. Um, and it's a humbling experience. Uh, but it's one I'm really grateful for. Like, I think letting, I've always tried to empower the people who work for me and letting them give that gift to me of taking care of me and knowing that they've got my back, um, is incredibly humbling because they don't, you know, they don't owe me anything. Um, but it's a, it's a real gift in business that I wasn't expecting to get. It wasn't one of those things that I was expecting to get out of my work life. Um, that's been a really very pleasant surprise with some ancillary benefits around making people feel empowered and making people feel like they're a part of the team. So I think it's really nice. Well, that might be a good place to end this block, Brad. And when we come back, we can talk about our dad wins and fails. All right. Welcome back. Uh, all right, Brad, let's wrap up with our wins and fails and then something we're thankful for for this week. Uh, you want to kick us off? What's your win? What's your fail? What are you thankful for? Sure. So uh, two wins. One I said earlier, but Sarah Beth said to me while I was sick, she appreciates me more for the chop wood, carry water stuff. Uh, so that's a backhanded compliment, I guess, that she wishes I wasn't sick, but it helps her see see some perspective. And then the second win is, uh, Sarah Beth and I were talking last night, and she wants this podcast to continue. She's listened to our first two episodes, and at first I was kind of, we're busy and lots going on and rebuilding business and having baby and all the stuff, and, and she likes it for a couple, three reasons. Number one, it's a creative outlet for me. Number two, there was no thing like this for me. And number three, she really thinks that you and I jive well. So that was a real big dad win that it's kind of, I give her veto power on whether we can do this or not. 
because uh, I like it, but you know, the, the family comes first and she didn't just say, yeah, go do it, whatever. She said, this is important. Keep doing it. So let's keep having fun. That's my win. Um, fails. I kind of feel like being sick was a failure and I don't think I should feel like that, but I just, in the moment, I, I just felt like I was failing to be the man I wanted to be. And I know it's not my fault, but that's, that was my, that's my feeling. What about yourself? Wins and losses. Yeah. So the, yeah, the win this week was certainly, um, getting to kind of hold and play with my, what I'm going to call my nephew. He's my cousin's son. Um, but I don't know if there's a word for what that is in relation to me. Um, so my nephew getting to play with him and hold him when he's crying and play with him, just really good. You know, uh, Laura got to see me kind of in that role as a dad, which I think she really enjoyed. And I got to kind of, you know, do a, a one hour test run, um, which I, which I really enjoyed, which is great. And then I do have some fails this week. Uh, I got two. One, building on what you said, Brad, I did not get sick this week, but I've been dealing with jet lag. I've been trying. I've, I've got some fitness goals I'm trying to hit. Uh, and it's just been a stressful week, two weeks at work. And all of that has really drained me. And I'm really tired. And I haven't pushed myself into getting sick, but I know if I continue on this track, I will. And so I, I this morning, maybe it's a half win, but I, I, I kind of really pulled back on my workout. I'm trying to take it easier. I slept a little bit more. Um, so, I, but I think my fail is I've pushed myself a little too hard on this trip and I need to, to back off a little bit. Um, my other, uh, fail this week was I was in charge of dinner and I made chicken and I didn't cook it all the way through. So I served my pregnant wife chicken that was raw in the middle. Um, luckily that was an easy fix, but, uh, <laughs> just a real, real miss on that one. Um, oh yeah, but and. It, <laughs> I'll leave that one there. So, um, as a wrap up before we end, uh, in honor of Thanksgiving, uh, what's one thing you're thankful for, Brad? I was trying to think through this. I mean, Theo, Sarah Bath and Thanksgiving itself found friends. These are all true, but I, I remember for some reason right now, I remember our first ultrasound and because we're a little bit older, we had it a little earlier and a lot more often. And when we walked into the first ultrasound, the ultrasound lady said, all right, uh, Sarah Beth, you know, sit there. And um, okay. And then, you know, sit there. She's partner. She didn't know who I was. And then about halfway through the ultrasound, she called me dad for the first time. And it was right around Thanksgiving last year. But I just, right now, I'm really thankful for that, that moment, that first feeling where I was given the, the name dad, which I had never had before. And for some reason, that's really becoming a strong thankfulness right now. That's beautiful. Appreciate you sharing that. I think uh, I'm, I've always had a pretty big, you know, I've got a big family for people who have small families and I've got a small family who have, tr for people who have truly big families, but you know, we've got a uh, 28 people around the, the, uh, we'll have 28 people around the um, Thanksgiving dinner table tomorrow. Um, which is, I think, pretty good, pretty darn good. And and so I'm feeling really thankful for um, my grandfather, who's no longer with us. Uh, he was my mom's dad, and he really kept our family. You know, he had four daughters. They combined had 10 children who were all cousins, and we're all very, very close. And I'm I'm really thankful for them, and I'm thankful for we're starting to have the next generation. My child will be the fifth of the next generation. Um, 
and this will be one of the first Thanksgivings where we get, get to meet some of them or have some of them together. And I'm just thankful that I'm getting to bring a child into this family in particular. I'm, I've always been thankful for my family, but it's it's kind of taken on a new deeper meeting, which is really, really lovely. Um, but on that note, why don't we wrap up for the day? So thanks for listening. If you made it this far, we really appreciate you. Uh, please like, subscribe, follow, give a thumbs up, share with your friends, do all the fun social things you need to do uh, because we really appreciate it and we want to help more people. We want to we want to get this out there. Uh, and then if if you have episode ideas, if you've got a dad win and fail of your own, if you've got something you want us to talk about or you want to share with us, email us at daddyopodcast at gmail.com and we'll get to them. We'll read all the emails and, and we'll incorporate you into uh, our lives and our show. Well, thanks, everybody. Thank you very much, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, even though it's going to be after Thanksgiving by the time you listen to this. We hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Goodbye, everybody.